Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. And for today's episode, we are going to focus on the number one reason why translation projects go sideways. Um, and it's the lack of honest and uh, honest communication. And it's I think it's very appropriate because we just got through um, the uh, fundamentals exercise for our last two podcasts. And this really plays into it. And I think it's one where the fundamentals sort of crosses that line uh, from customer to, you know, vendor to us, as well as even, you know, down to our suppliers. And again, you know, I uh, and I know I harp on this internally. I talk a lot about how these things apply both professionally and personally. And I'd say it's the same thing, right? If If you don't have honest communication, you pretty much have nothing when it comes to, you know, having, you know, planning a big project, uh, working on a big issue at home or discussing a huge issue with your child. It's really, really important. Patrick, anything to add on that? Yeah, I think it's important to, um, like you said, kind of in the personal life to gather all the facts, look at the whole situation. Just like for us at work, we need to see the files. We need to see what we're working on, where if we're just like, we're told, oh, it's going to be 30 pages. Well, that could be any number of different word counts. So we really need to get to the heart of the matter and kind of cut through and get exactly what's needed in order to get the job done. And and that brings up a a great point because um, in prepping for the show, what we were talking about is, you know, just, again, this is also super appropriate because it's sort of in this reflective mood um, for two reasons. Number one, uh, just having celebrated 27 years in business, um, and and really this pandemic, right? It sort of makes you think of, gee, you know, what makes us successful? What, you know, what what helps? What's going to help us get through this thing? How do we move forward? What is the future like? How do we expand? You know, all those things, and and you know, looking forward and backward, you 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 can't help but look at successes and failures. And oddly enough, in 27 years, I can think of two projects or two client relationships where um, this has been tested um, and there's been little to no cooperation from the other side of the equation from the client. And that is, um, I think that's telling to only have that only two in 27 years. But um, anyway, there's, there's two parts in my mind where this falls down. It's either on, you know, the expectations piece. So in other words, if we're not clear about either what we're delivering and when we're delivering and at what cost we're going to deliver uh, the project, you know, that that could be on us, perhaps not communicating or the client not understanding. Um, and then the other one is on scope creep. And again, that's sort of a violation of expectations, but scope creep, modifications, changes, and when those changes occur. So those are kind of the two buckets that we want to explore. Patrick, does that sound right? Or are there other situations that you thought of? Yeah, I definitely think that definition of scope is one that we see, um, or definition of expectations is one we see quite often. We try to be as transparent as we can in our quotes. Uh, We like to say, you know, we're translating this file and then put the file name in there, not just we're translating your Word document. Um, So it's really, it's it's all baked into our proposals most of the time. Sometimes we're quoting on something intangible, like maybe a website or something like that. But we try and, and really 
get those details ironed out so that there are no surprises when things come to the end of the project and they're like, oh, where is this? What's, well, that wasn't included in the original scope because you didn't send it then. So it's mm-hmm. things like that that, you know, we can obviously work through it. It's just it's going to cost more if there's more work and it's going to take more time. It's, I mean, it makes sense, but sometimes when you're when you're the buyer, you just want it done and you don't think about those kinds of things. So you kind of take that out on your provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the, the two issues are sort of um, related in the sense that, um, you know, sometimes you'll hear things like, oh, well, it's just a small change, but it's deeper than that, right? Um, you know, let's start with sort of the project-related uh, discussion. And uh, let's think about this one client. It was uh, an e-learning program, complex, very long, a lot of slides. So for those of you that aren't familiar with e-learning, so e-learning would be maybe in your workplace, you've done sort of, a, you know, the personal information, you know, the PII uh, testing where you... Um, learn about how to handle sensitive information by email, or maybe you've done one on ethics or one on sexual harassment. Those seem to be the most common e-learning that all of us have probably taken at one point. But it's really essentially where you've got some information on screen and you're seeing some slides like PowerPoint slides sort of looking content where they're teaching you something and you're supposed to memorize it. And then they ask you questions to see if you've comprehended the topics, and then you get a result at the end. Well, a lot of corporations will use these tools to do training, to reinforce an important policy, um, and we, of course, translate that type of material. The problem is that there are a lot, and it's, it's really, like I always say, it's a math problem, right? You're just managing people and making sure they're in the right slots at the right time and for the right cost. That's what any good project manager does. Um, but because of that, Changes are really important. Um, If you make changes or modifications at the wrong time, you can really derail a project. So that's why there's these really important approval steps like translation and editing and then review. If there are any changes to terminology or content, it has to happen before you get into the studio. Uh, Patrick, does that sound right to you? Yeah, I mean, just think about it. If you're doing, let's just say, a 10-language project, you've got two translators per language plus possibly a client reviewer and then the studio talent. So we're looking at about four people per language roughly times 10 languages. So when you make that one change, it really stretches far and wide of who needs to go make that change, at what point does it need to be made. Obviously, the earlier the better. We don't want to, When we go to get in touch with the studio, we want to say, here's the script, go record it. And then they don't want to hear from us again until they're done. They don't want to be like, oh, sorry, we changed three words here, here, and here, because then that creates more work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, like you said, before any voice over recording comes into play, um, I mean, preferably, there would be no changes to your source content before or right when you approve the project. If Once we have that approval, we're going to hit the ground running. So if changes come in, it may already be too late. Even a few minutes after approval, our translators are right on the ball and already getting to work once we have that approval. Right. And, and, you know, Patrick made up, made a good point. And so if you're walking through this scenario and you have those people that Patrick was talking about, you've got the translator, the editor, a client reviewer, you could have multiple voices. You know, if you're doing, oh, we we want two male voices and one female voice, you might have that many, you know, voice talent uh, folks involved as well. And the sound engineer, 
And the problem is, is it's a chain that builds upon itself, right? So if you're, if we're already in the studio and we've already recorded and you make a change, well, guess what? We have to go back to the translator, back to the reviewer. If it needs to be reviewed because it's something very sensitive, as in the case of this pharmaceutical training that we were doing, it was for the training of a new drug. I mean, think of how important that is. And there was sort of a, a rollout that needed to happen with conjunction with a new trade show or a, a, a launch of the drug. Um, so we had this deadline that wasn't going to change. And now we're butting up against that because every time we make these changes, we're going back to the front of the line and starting over again. And, and I think, you know, something that, you know, we, we would want to stress is that, you know, any translation service provider is going to tell you, well, it's possible. Sure. No problem. We can handle changes. We can handle changes all day long. However, the problem is, is that the deadline doesn't move. And uh, you're just adding time and you're also adding budget. So you have to ask yourself, you know, is it worth it? Like, are these changes worth Perhaps did we start too early? You know, maybe the content wasn't finalized. And, you know, that's where you get huge complexity in a project. And, um, you know, that's where it can really fall off the rails. And, and expectations on these things too, right? So, um, well, I guess before I jump back to that expectations piece, did I miss anything, Patrick, on kind of the complexity of that workflow and where that goes awry? No, I think it's important too to kind of, this kind of branches off that topic, but a thing we get asked to do relatively often is provide rough quotes. And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, we don't really know what we're going to get. We don't really know what the scope is going to be. So here's what we think it is, but we're not sure. Uh, the way I kind of think about it is if you, you're like, oh, I want to buy a TV. And then the person selling a TV might say, well, what size? And then if you don't know, you're just like, well, I just want a TV. Tell me how much it costs. They're going to make an assumption for you. Whereas if you're thinking, I want a 100-inch TV, they might give you a quote for a 50-inch TV. So it's really, unless you define those expectations, your answer is going to be as good as the information that you provided. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, that that is uh, the important part of it. It's like you read my mind, Patrick, because I wanted to move back towards that expectations discussion. Because, yeah, it comes up a lot in project quotes or estimates that we're doing where, you know, a client will say, hey, you know, can you look at today's website because we're going to do a new one? And we can certainly do that. However, you have to keep in mind that if for some reason then when, you know, the, the new website launches and it's double the content, well, you can probably expect the quote's going to be double and the timeline's going to be double. So it's really a matter of properly setting expectations. Now, many of our clients, listen, understand very clearly you know, we, we do the caveat after like, yeah, here's guideline pricing. It's based on the parameters you've given us. Uh, but we really don't know what reality is going to look like. Um, so, I, you know, it's, it's again, setting expectations. And where that sometimes becomes a problem is, and I guess it's like that game we used to play as kids, right, where you'd, you'd have 10 kids lined up or, you know, we've done it in school different times. Gosh, I've even done it in some of the business organizations I'm in to talk exactly about this, about communication and cascading messaging, right, messaging going down the line. And, you know, you start with the one kid and you give them a sentence, kind of a complex sentence, and then they whisper it to the next one and then the next one and the next one. And by the time it gets to that 10th kid, it's like a completely different thing. It's not even it's the old telephone game. That's it. See, I couldn't think of the name. <laughs> See, that's the old telephone game. That's... And that's kind of what it is, right? 
that's what I equate doing forward translation and then doing back translation. That's the metaphor like the I use is playing telephone. Because yeah. yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. going to completely change somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I think that that's where – and, you know, where does that lead into problems? So it leads into problems in two, 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 two ways. If we're working with a client and let's say, you know, maybe they're the doer um, or our champion, but then they're reporting up to a committee that reports up to another committee – and then maybe to the ultimate decision maker. And you may laugh. You may say, come on, really? Can there be that many layers? Yes. In a large organization, on a larger project, there can be that many layers. Um, and you know that's where sometimes things fall down. Uh, there might be a gap in the communication or how we've communicated what the expectations and timelines and scope are. Um, so you know that's one part. And the only way we can fill that void is to try to set as clear of a project scope as possible and in writing in the form of a proposal and by the way a very clear proposal um, we're going to do a future show on the rights of translation buyers we're going to do it it's coming up but one of your rights is to have a clear um, and detailed proposal of what's going on so um, translation buyers out there if someone gives you a paragraph um, and just has a price on the other side of that, run as fast as you possibly can, especially on a complex project, because you're guaranteed nothing. You're guaranteed that you'll get a translation on the other end, uh, but nothing in between. So if you're looking at project scope or what's being handled, you'll, you'll, you will be surprised, and I guarantee you it's not going to be a happy surprise. But so what can you do? Make a very clear and, cons- you know, just a clear and detailed proposal that lists all the steps. I mean, that's one way of doing it. But the other issue that I think is happens a fair amount, because we, we do um, also do a fair amount of work for what we'd consider um, uh, middlemen, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't, I'm not saying that's negative. I'm just saying it's like for an agency, whether it's a, a web development firm or an ad agency or a technical writing firm, and if we're feeding information, our expectation is that it gets fed to the client. And sometimes we get the idea that says, no, we, we actually don't want to tell the client that. And, and my response to that always, why not? Like, why, would, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't you want the client to understand, like, what the ramifications are of making changes and when? And, well, I don't want to upset them. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, that's – really? I mean, that's – so what if I was having like an argument with a family member or one of my coworkers and you know I'm not going to tell them the truth cuz I don't want to upset them like look you can do things constructively and I yeah, know, I think I think that sets that. a dangerous precedent too because like we said it's it's okay if changes happen it's just a matter of understanding the consequences of those changes happening so if we go back and say hey your changes are going to add this in time and add this in budget and the end customer doesn't know that they're like, oh, changes are free and they don't change anything. It doesn't do anything. So I think you're you're also setting up a bad precedent for your end client to think that oh, we can just do whatever we want to and nothing's going to matter because it's not going to cost anymore. I think it's. I mean, it's it's pretty reasonable to think that if you change something, the price or the time is also going to change. I mean, but sometimes that's hard for people to grasp or understand or accept whatever it might be, but. I think not doing it is is kind of shooting yourself in the foot of like, hey, well, now you're just setting yourself up to be walked over in the future and you have no no backbone in that scenario. 
Right. I mean, and I also think from a value perspective, right? If if I said to you, um, as a customer, I said, hey, we can get this done in two weeks and here's the steps we're going to follow and here's how we're going to do it. And then they double the project and we say, yeah, no problem. We're going to still do it in two weeks. I mean, if I'm the buyer, I'm going, really? Because like what sort of thing are you doing? What corner are you cutting to get that same volume of work done? Whereas the type of conversation we would have with a client is we say, hey, um, Look, we can do that. You know, here's what we need to do. We need to add another translation team. We're going to add another translator, another editor. Um, here are the risks. The risks are that we might lose some consistency. Um, now we've got four authors, you know, or two authors and two editors where we used to just have one set. So here are the risks. Here's the additional cost. Looks like we can meet the timeline because sometimes you can, but you have to talk about the risks. Because always, how does the client know? I mean, they don't. You have to pull them into the picture. And all too often, I think, in what I call the black magic of translation, a lot of vendors will just sort of sweep that under the rug. And we expect that of our, our partners as well, that they, they are going to share the truth with the client. I think it's important. Yeah, that goes back to, to our core values of an honest counselor and our, our new fundamental of speaking straight. I mean, our goal isn't to, to ruffle any feathers. Our goal is to get the information where it needs to go so that someone can make an informed decision. Um, the, the metaphor that I've been using recently for that one is um, when you go to the grocery store, sometimes your groceries are single bagged and sometimes they're double bagged. And it's which are you comfortable risking when you walk those to your car or walk you to your house? If it's super heavy cans and bottles, that kind of thing, one bag might break. So you might need two. So that kind of the level of service discussion we have all the time you know, how many people do you want working on it? Do you want that safety net, that second set of eyes? So that's, that's been my new metaphor to think of, you know, what, what level of service is going to work for your needs? If you've just got a few things, yeah, maybe one, one level of bagging or one translator might work. But if it's larger, more complicated, then you're going to need that second level of security. No, I, I like that. That is, um, that, that, that is a really good uh, analogy to the two, two situations because, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think, I think we're always better off having an educated buyer. I mean, so they understand the process. And like you say, for the next time the project comes up, I mean, they may even have the idea, hey, is this, is this that spot where we can add a team? Um, you know, and they kind of know the ramifications of what it is and, you know, how, how much good translation can be created in a day. I mean, I would much rather have the buyer armed with some knowledge and understand the process, be educated towards the process than someone who just blatantly says, hey, here's a change, got to make it, it's going to happen no matter what. And, and by the way, I don't want it cost overrun. Or, and, and, and I guess I, guess I want to make sure the point I'm trying to make is this is not where the, where the project manager or the translation company or for whatever, if you apply this to web development or you know, creating e-learning, any service business – like, I don't think the cash register rings in the back of their head when they say because changes are usually more difficult to work with than they really are. Like that's not the revenue driver, right? Like nobody's going to say, gee, I hope, I hope you know, we're going to launch this project and I hope there's 100 change orders. Like that's not you – know, nobody has that wish. That's not, that's not really like how you grow a business. Because instead, again, there's risk. There's always inherent risk with change orders and what's going to happen. So I, I don't – you know, if we can avoid like doing a formal change order, it's something simple. Yeah, we're going to avoid that. 
but you know when you double the content or you know we're doing a very complex workflow and we're almost at the end and your change precipitates us going back to the beginning of the workflow well yeah there's hey it's labor hours that's all it is all of this whether it's a, any type of pres- professional service just time it's time and 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 money because you're employing labor hours to get it done yeah i agree i mean i'm not looking to to nickel and dime on their changes like if it can be avoided we're going to avoid the the cost of changes, but sometimes we just can't, and then obviously we need to, to mm-hmm. bill for what we've done. Yeah, and because of how careful we are with setting expectations and, you know, uh, in, in terms of having – trying to maintain three ISO registrations and trying to, 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 to define scope for people, I mean, yeah, there's a certain amount of paperwork that goes into it. And, you know, I wish it wasn't so, but, again, this is how we keep clear – um, communications and how we make sure everybody's on the same page in terms of the cost and the timeline. It's how we do it. We communicate in writing. We communicate a change order. We, we communicate what the expectations are. So, um, yeah, well, you know, Patrick, this is that time of the show where I always ask. I think we've covered this topic pretty well. But I'll always ask, hey, what is your biggest takeaway from this discussion today? My biggest takeaway is that I wish I was a mind reader, but I'm not. So uh, unfortunately, that means that I will be asking lots of questions. If anything is unclear on a project, just like you said, to hammer out those details, make sure we're in a good spot before we start doing anything. That's just kind of how I'm wired as a project manager and how all of our project managers are wired. We don't like surprises. We don't want surprises in projects. We want to make sure when you say go, Basically, what's going to happen is you'll get your project back and you'll be happy in the time that we said we're going to do it. Um, Obviously, we can work with changes, but it kind of just, like we said, throws a wrench into the project, whether it's time, budget, workflow, whatever it might be. So we have a standard. We want to stick to that standard. We can obviously be flexible, but until I get mind reading powers, we can only know what we know and we can only know what you tell us. Well, Patrick, I, I would hope that you know soon you would develop that power. But if you don't, you're right. I'm I working think, on it. Yes, exactly. But I, I think for me, what that leads to is, um, you know, the opportunity that's there. I think this idea of honest and clear communication is a huge opportunity. It's an opportunity to nurture a customer, to help educate a customer, to help educate us as project managers. As to what your trials and tribulations are. Hey, we get it. Changes happen. They just do. Um, So it's a good opportunity for us to understand your process so we can better put the workflow together that makes everything go more smoothly. Because if this is a project that happens every quarter or every year, hey, it's good to know what the challenges are. Um, You know, we're working on a big video project right now, a voiceover project where, you know, the scripts are written, but um, in taping, usually some modifications happen. So we put that into the workflow. So we're doing translation. We're getting to a certain point. We're kind of hanging out. We're stopping until the session happens. And then we look for any changes. And then we do our final edit so that we can shorten the time before we go to studio. So that kind of workflow doesn't happen unless there's that clear communication. So for me, I like the idea that all of these interactions are an opportunity for education, for us to learn how the client works and what happens in their world, and for the customer to understand exactly what happens in our in our world and how it works. So that's my conclusion. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this episode, Mr. Daly? Yeah, I think um, you, meant, you touched on this as well. I think 
having it be a two-way street is super important too. You don't just want your provider always, you know, kind of speaking straight as well, for lack of a better term, back as you as the buyer. I think it needs to work both ways. Um, we we learn a ton when we just hop on the phone and talk to a client for a half hour, 20 minutes, whatever it might be. And that really can inform our decision of how we're going to prepare what we're working on for you. If we're just able to talk through it, have someone say what they're thinking, and then basically our job is to regurgitate it, saying the exact same thing in our own words so that we understand it and make sure that we're on the same page. I think that really goes a long way in avoiding any of the negatives that obviously you want to avoid. Great. And with that, we'll close. Uh, Thank you very much, Patrick. And for this episode of Translation Confidential, this is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly signing off.